You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast, and wherever you are in the world, from Freetown to Funafuti, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe, and I'm the Lonely Diplomat. I help reconnect diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to themselves and to the world around them. I do this through my website, thelonelydiplomat.com. And on that site, I have my blog, this podcast, The Lounge, which is a place for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to get support and support others just like them as they live the highs and lows of this diplomatic life. I also provide coaching services, speaking services, give seminars for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life, all aimed to reconnect you to yourself and to the world around you. If you don't already follow me on social media, I invite you to check out The Lonely Diplomat on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you're a diplomat or live the diplomatic life, you know that there are highs and there are lows, just like regular life. We share and celebrate the highs, but for many reasons, we can feel that we must endure the lows alone. It doesn't do to appear ungrateful. It doesn't do to be perceived as a whinger, a complainer. It doesn't do to be perceived as someone who doesn't cope or who can't cope with the highs and the lows of this diplomatic life. But you're not alone. I'm here. I'm creating the space to talk about all aspects of this diplomatic life. If you'd like to make a financial contribution to help me in my work, please go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support. In this episode, we're going to be talking about midlife crises with my friend, Dr. Dougal Sutherland, a clinical psychologist at the Victoria University of Wellington. Dougal gets it, and I was so excited when he accepted my invitation to come and be interviewed for this episode. Dougal does some work with the Umbrella Group who supports New Zealand diplomats and their families as they live their diplomatic life and do their work where they do it around the world. Simply, Dougal understands what it is like for us to live this diplomatic life and still be subject to the human condition. I first met Dougal last year at a seminar on mental health awareness organized and hosted by the Canadian High Commission here in Wellington. This seminar was simply fantastic. It was for consular officials from all diplomatic missions operating here in New Zealand to come and learn about how to identify mental health issues in their clients. Critically, the seminar also provided support for diplomats, particularly consular officials, as they go about doing their work and helping them with their resilience and mental health awareness in themselves. In this capacity, Dougal spoke at the seminar on mindfulness. From that time, Dougal and I have been talking over the past year at regular intervals, and I always come away from our chats with a renewed insight into myself and new ideas about how I can support you. 
readers of my blog will also recognize Dougal's name because he regularly provides professional input into my blogs. Now, before we launch into the interview, I invite you to keep listening after the end of the interview because I'm going to be talking about my midlife crisis and how I experienced it and how I experienced the thoughts and the feelings that things needed to change, but how I was absolutely terrified of taking a step. With that teaser, let's launch straight into my interview with Dougal. Dr. Dougal Sutherland, thank you so much for joining us today on the Lonely Diplomat podcast. Cool. Thanks for having me, Phil. Nice to speak with you again. Yeah. it's um, Listeners, Dougal and I have been talking for about the last year or so about uh, many aspects of my work, and it's with great pleasure that I have him on the episode today to talk about midlife crises. And I wrote a blog post on this that I published back in May 2019 um, about midlife crises and about my midlife crisis of, of, of a kind, of a sort. But, Dougal, what is a midlife crisis? That, uh, well, that's a good question to start with, isn't it? Um, um, it was sort of invented in uh, the 50s or the 60s, really, and it was this idea originally that in your in the middle of your life, you suddenly had this realisation that you were going to die soon, and it prompted all this sort of, um, you know, really stereotypical behaviour like buying a flash car and running away for weekends with your secretary or, um, you know, going out with a 20-year-old when you're 40. Right. Um, and, and all of a sudden overnight it became this huge sensation that everybody suddenly was having midlife crises and that, you know, 90% of 40-year-olds had midlife crises. But so after its discovery in the 60s, discovery in quotes, and, it, and people got initially very excited about it. I think it, it sort of boiled down a bit, and, and people no longer link a midlife crisis to a fear of death, which was the initial kind of thought. Almost everybody had a midlife crisis, and now it's quite a relatively much smaller number of people. But I guess now it refers to people who are in that middle period of life, and, and maybe that's you know mid to late 30s onwards, and um, who are starting to perhaps reevaluate what they're doing in their life, mm. and and why they're doing it, perhaps, and and you could even consider it now. Maybe it's much much better to think of it as a a reevaluation of your values ah. um, than a rather than a crisis as such. Sort of a oh my god, I'm going to die soon. I better do something with my life. It's more a, actually what am I doing in my life and where am I going? And, and, and you know, whether you, I don't know whether you need to think about that as a crisis, it might be a good thing, you know. It's, it might be good to stop and reconsider and go, actually, why am I doing this? I kind of got into this when I was, you know, 21 and I haven't really come up for breath until now. And now I'm going, actually, um, yeah. So it's I, it's I think it's really useful to think about it now as a as a way of, a time perhaps when people look around them and think, hmm, is this what I want to do for the for the next period of time in my life? Um, yeah. I have to say that um, reframing it away from midlife crisis uh, and 
because of exactly what you said, Dougal, of, you know, the buying the, the fancy sports car or having the affair or, as I wrote in the blog post, you know, exercising in your 40s uh, yeah. as if you were still 18 and then, you know, wondering why you're getting injured. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this, you know, and that kind of frustration of, you know, this worked when I was younger. Why isn't it yeah. working now? Or desperately trying to feel younger or feel anything perhaps um, mm, mm. is is really important and yep i think that can feel like a crisis you know a bit of yeah, a, yeah. a bit of a panic i'm not quite sure if you could have a bit of a panic it seems quite binary you're panicking uh -huh. or you're not i don't know but yeah. the um but i really like that reframing of it to a midlife reevaluation of mm. the values. I think there's that's really powerful yeah. because do you think and do you feel that there is a phobia or like a um, a fear, I guess, of the midlife crisis? Yeah, maybe. I, 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 I mean, I guess to really answer that question, you'd have to poll a whole lot of people and find out what they what they actually thought. Um, but, but um, yeah, I, I think certainly for some people there is definitely that sense of it brings with it, that that reevaluation can be quite anxiety provoking or depressing. Mm. Um, and and I think often people are. Um, they're not very keen, shall we say, on, on, on experiencing those feelings. I mean, they're not very nice feelings to have. Right. And there's lots of things that we do as humans, I think, to avoid trying to have those unwanted feelings or those disliked feelings. And, and so you might try and do something to, to avoid having them. You might try and, um, you know, buy a new car, just for an example, just because just it makes you feel better. People tend to, particularly in the Western world, tend to try and avoid. Mm, tend to try and avoid. <laughs> we often we don't we don't we often don't like having those feelings. Right. You know, feelings, anxiety, depression, uh, feeling, feeling feeling uncertain, and um, so it's understandable that people try to do things to improve their mood. You know, buy a new car, get a new house, change jobs. Maybe I don't know. Mm. Mm. Um. Yeah, which which kind of which, no, not kind of. It does lead into that that second question of why do we choose, or I guess more passively, you know, not make any kind of conscious decision to numb those thoughts and feelings. And I think you hit upon it is because they're hard. That's it, it can be a, a very difficult realization to know potentially on one extreme that, you know, life is half done uh -huh. uh, and we can just sort of look around and go, oh, crap, like this is as good as it gets or, you know, uh -huh. and the rest of life is going to look like this uh -huh. um, or that that kind of somehow a bit of a, a an awakening of sorts. Those thoughts and feelings that come with that realisation are terrifying for many of us why why do we and this is the the million dollar question um mm. why do we 
so willingly choose to numb or not choose to numb, but numb anyway? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a million dollar question. Gee, if you could solve that, then I'd be a rich man and, yeah. and <laughs> doing this podcast, Phil. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd have bought a flash house and a big car. Yeah. Um, um, oh, look, I don't I, 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 interestingly, you know, interested when you said, when you sort of changed your question and said, why do people choose? And then you cut out the word choose. I don't think people necessarily make a clear decision to choose to not to feel these things. I think we're socialised into not feeling um, unliked emotions pretty early on in life. If, if, if a kid is crying or something, you know, mm. when they're growing up or they're unhappy, we do lots of things as adults and parents to cheer them up and, and hey, it's not that bad. And, um, and so I think, yeah, with kids, we often, so we're socialised into trying to avoid those feelings, that they're, they're reinforced as things that you sh- shouldn't have perhaps or, mm. uh, yeah, probably shouldn't have. Um, you know, you shouldn't feel sad about that or... Uh, and and I think that that message is portrayed a lot by in you know in society as we grow up we um, you know we always want to be having a great life and having a good time and that's what ads are all about and um, and you watch you know you look at people's Facebooks and they're all having a great time in in Bali and uh, wherever else they are. I want to pick up a point there, Dougal, on shouldn't feel. Uh-huh. Um, because listeners and, and, and readers of The Lonely Diplomat will know that I have, um, uh, uh, that, that the word should as a modal verb um, raises all sorts of red flags for me. Um, sure. And that goes to a really important point, I feel, for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life where we feel that we shouldn't feel that our yeah. life isn't perfect because yeah. of wider societal beliefs that mm-hmm. the world of diplomacy is nothing but, you know, uh, dinner suits and tuxedos and ball gowns uh, yeah. and, and quaffing champagne uh, in five-star hotels and toasting each other's success uh, yeah. as, as countries. When the reality is, as we all know, far different and or can be far different. Mm. I want to explore that some more in terms of the context of, for, um, for the listener about diplomacy and the should and shouldn't. Because uh-huh. I feel, um, and, and I feel so strongly that, you know, I've... I've um, created a whole uh, online presence based on recognizing the the not so shiny um, underside of a very shiny coin mm. um, how does the sentiments around should how does that affect us I think it's a, it's it's a I mean I know we're talking about this in the diplomatic well, we're not well in the diplomatic sense. We're being very diplomatic as we talk about it, and <laughs> they, um, you know, career diplomat sense. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously really important for this audience. 
and it's also, a th- I think, a good to normalise that that lots mm. of people shoulds and shouldn't and musts and mustn'ts as well. Mm. And it's interesting to ask yourself when you notice that you're shoulding, or as sometimes we say in psychology, if you're masturbating a lot, ah. um, <laughs> you know, when you notice yourself doing that. There's the promo right there, Dougal. This, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Stop masturbating. Um, when you, when, to stop and think, who says so? Mm. So if I think to myself, or if if I'm a if I'm a busy diplomat living, you know, my busy diplomatic life, and and then I'm starting to reevaluate things and going, ah, I don't know if this is really all it's cracked up to be, or is this all it's cracked up to be? Is this all it's going to be? Mm. And then going, oh, I shouldn't feel that. Or I shouldn't think that. It's a really useful question to stop and ask yourself, who says so? Who says you shouldn't or should feel that? And and as a psychologist, people come to me with these sorts of things all the time, and 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 not just diplomats, but yeah. but every but but all sorts of people. And they all when when I when you identify it with them, and often people aren't aware they're shoulding or musting. They almost look at you as though there should be a <laughs> there you go. There's yeah. a should. <laughs> they almost look at you as though there should be a book. And that I should know, as a psychologist, what they what they're supposed to be feeling in this situation. And I have to say to people, and you'd say I'd say the same to diplomats. There isn't a book on life. I can't turn to page um, forty four of Phil's uh, lonely diplomat life and say, oh. In 2019, in October, you shouldn't feel this, or this is what you're supposed to feel. Right. What what it probably indicates is that we've got a rule for ourselves. We've somehow formed, well, not somehow, it's but we've formed a rule around what life should be like, and we're breaking that rule somehow. Mm. Well, we may be breaking that rule. We might just be playing along in accord with the rule by having a should. I should be busy all the time. I should enjoy my life because if I don't, dot, 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 dot. Right. What does it mean if I don't? And I think it's a really can be really useful to stop and ask yourself, who says and, and what is what would happen if this was true? Um, and sometimes that might be unpleasant to consider or to you know because maybe if I if I'm not a successful diplomat, then 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 what am I? Yeah. So shoulds indicate rules probably, um, but. But you've probably made the rules yourself, not deliberately, but just as you've grown up. And so if you've made the rules, then possibly you can, I was going to say break them, but sometimes that's a bit tough to do. At least modify them yourself sometimes. Mm. You don't Mm. always have to live by those rules because once you realize that you made them, it's like, ah, well, I can, maybe I can like alter them somehow. You're probably always going to have rules about your life, but. Maybe you don't have to stick to them. Maybe you can. Maybe you can remake them if you want. I think this, this is fascinating. Fascinating because I'm just you know thinking of my own situation, and I'm sure uh, the listener is is 
sitting back from the table, you know, or, or otherwise, you know, looking in into the middle distance as they think about the rules that they themselves have written about various aspects of their life. And I feel that this is so true because um, in many aspects we, or I'll, I'll frame this as a question, in many aspects, Dougal, have we passively accepted the rules of others as our own rules? Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't think there's... I mean, people will think about this in their own life. You don't mm. You don't suddenly become an adult at whatever age it is, 18, 16, 21, whenever that is, and go, right, I'm now going to decide on the rules for my own life, yeah. completely independent of anything anybody else ever said to me. Um, so you, you we know that people develop rules for their lives, lives just as they grow up. Yeah, and, and as life continues along, and, and and we're social beings, so it's only natural that we incorporate information from other people as we as we make those rules. Mm. Um, I think it's important to say before people get all judgy about themselves for having rules, because yeah. we do, right? We get judgy, we get judgy at ourselves because we break a should or a must. Yeah. Oh, I must feel like that. Oh, oh, that must mean you something's really wrong if you're considering that. Um, I think we should all realise that that um, we all have rules for our life, and we're always going to have rules for it. There's nothing wrong. With that. Yeah. Um, and 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 that's okay uh, to have them, and we're going to have them. And but um, you don't have to. It's, you don't need to judge yourself for having them potentially. Hmm. Which is an important point because. In my experience anyway, nobody else's judgment of me comes close to my own judgment of myself. I am an expert at picking up every single fault, you know, perceived fault that I do uh, and, um, you know, absolutely dissecting it every which way. Um, and using it as um, essentially weaponizing it against myself. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And and I dare say that I'm not alone in that. No, no, no. no. I think most people would have that experience, eh, is that you say things to yourself in your own head that you would never say to anybody else, unless perhaps you were comatosely drunk. And um, had lost <laughs> sort of sort of social social niceties, but you know, <laughs> you so felt had broken. Mm. Yeah, but we all say I think we're all our own harshest critic. Yeah. Um, I think it's good to remember too. Not only are rules normal, that they probably developed for a good reason. So they probably developed to keep you safe or to keep you functioning well. Mm. Um, so it's not like we it's not like our brain developed these these rules just to be harsh on ourselves um you know they uh, your brain isn't some sort of machiavellian object sitting there trying to think up ways to to trip you up and to punish you <laughs> I, um, I think that's a very good description but 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 you would have developed, we all develop rules and often for a good reason to keep ourselves safe, to make help ourselves function in the world. But it's just that we don't often stop 
and evaluate those rules and realise that they are, in fact, rules for a living. But that, again, you know, if, if actually if we've made the rules, maybe we can unmake them or maybe we can alter them a little bit. That, um, but it, I think it's, all, it's, it's, a, it's a much more compassionate way of looking at yourself of going, actually, when I was younger, whenever that was, then I probably developed these rules because it was really helpful for me, helpful for me at that time. Mm. Whether or not it's helpful for me now is a different question. But it's okay to have rules because they're normal, and it's okay that I develop these rules because they were probably useful at the time. But maybe I maybe I don't need them. Well, I'm going to have some rules, so um, you know, just take it for granted that you have rules. You can't live your life without them. But maybe I don't need to hold on to them quite so tightly. Maybe there are times when I go, oh, well, maybe that is usually the case, but not today. Yeah, is it fair then? to say that a midlife crisis or a midlife reevaluation of uh well a midlife reevaluation yeah kind of a is is a rule stock take yeah in a way it is eh? it's it's and, and perhaps the first time maybe that people have deliberately decided on their values or have an opportunity to deliberately decide because values will get ingrained into us whether you want them or not right just like your rules you grow up with values family is really important or um uh you know it's um we value hard work if you're scottish presbyterian uh, and saving money as well yeah uh, so that's so, so we all grow up with values and and but perhaps it's not until you're in, you know, in your middle age that you can start reevaluating those and considering whether those are actually ones that you want to have. Because before that, I think life's probably, you know, unless you're a, unless you're like a twenty-one-year-old philosophy student, which most people aren't, right. most of us probably don't think about our values a lot. And then, you know, you get into this thing about a diplomat's life. You get in, you go and do some, you, you go to uni probably and do some training and whatever it is, you know, let's say you're a lawyer or, a, you know, a, um, and then and then you you finish that and then you got to get on and you got to get a job and that's really exciting and, you know, and then you go overseas or, or get into the workforce and mm. working your way up um, and probably then you have, meet somebody and have kids and then, you know, lose sleep for about 10 years of your life. And um, and then all of a sudden you sort of pop out at the end of that and go, oh, hang on. Um, right. Well, for the first time, uh, I can, I've got a little bit of space and my brain's developed and I've lived long enough that I can go, um, is this? Mm. Mm. Um, and, and then it gives you an opportunity, perhaps, to reevaluate those values. But I think it's really important that people kind of realise that that's perhaps what's going on. It's not. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are having some sort of major breakdown in life. Yeah. So it might be an opportunity just to stop, and you you can just poke your head above the parapet for the first time in a long while, right? And go, ah, oh, um, is this where I wanted to be? 
And for some people it might be. They might go, yeah, this is really where I wanted to be. And for other people might go, oh, it actually quite, wasn't quite what I expected. And I am kind of feel like a bit of a different person now. And and that can be scary, of course, because that's, that's anxiety-provoking. Yeah, yeah, because once that awareness has been, uh, I guess, once that awareness has been reached, mm. there's then the decision to, or the choice to do something yep. about it or yep. not. Yep. Um, yep. And that itself can also be, as you say, anxiety provoking, I would say yep. terrifying. Um, yeah, yeah. Particularly if you are a diplomat or um, living the diplomatic life, and by that, yep. you know, you know, um, yep. uh, accompanying a diplomat, yep. and you're far from home, you, or you yep. can be far from home if you're on a posting, and far from what would normally be your support structures if you were to stay at home in your home country. Um, yep. And you have the added responsibility of always being on, um, always representing your country. So you can kind of, and at least this was in, in, in my sense, kind of feel like you're sort of internally crumbling while yeah. still, you know, like the, 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 the innards are crumbling, but the facade needs to mm. still be, yeah. be strong. And that effort in itself to continue along, like everything is fine mm. because of the fear that admitting that everything is not fine can yep. induce within us. Um, yep. That is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. yep. But it is a key component of uh, going through a midlife crisis um, uh, or, or a midlife reevaluation mm. when you are on a diplomatic posting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And indeed, even if you're not on a diplomatic posting, but you're still a diplomat and living the diplomatic life, when you measure your time, when you measure your life by the three or four year periods where you are living in any one place, yep. we can almost look around and go, well, I don't have time for this. I've got, I'm going, you know, on a posting next year. I don't have yeah. time for any of this shit. Um, yep. I, 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 you know, just can't deal with it because I've got, you know, to organize this, this move. Um, and you know, I'll, I'll deal with it when I get home or when I get on posting and I'm nice and settled. And of course that time never comes. Yeah. 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 Um, because things, you know, we're, we're never actually really settled because, you know, no. life has a period, life has a, um, has a habit of doing its thing to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's your advice then with that in mind, Dougal, mm -hmm. for those that, for those listeners who feel like they've started yeah. um, their midlife reevaluation or in their midlife reevaluation? I'm banning mm -hmm. midlife crisis from here on. Right? <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Eh? I know. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. That's enough rule. You can't have a midlife crisis. Oh my God, I'm having one. Oh. No, forbidden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can't do that. Um, yeah, I, I really, I, I, I'm thinking particularly around your point around that now's never a good time. Yeah. Like, oh, I can't do it. Oh, I'm going on posting or, oh, you know, I've got to go to Mogadishu 
for you know for for six weeks, and I sure as hell can't reevaluate things there. Yeah, I, I, I think my, my my best piece of advice, I think, on this would be to actually begin a practice, a daily practice, where you are able to stop and be with yourself for a little bit of time, which sounds all eerie, sort of fairy. <laughs> Very um, psychologists speak. Oh, how the hell do you be with yourself? I guess what I'm thinking about then is I'm thinking about things like, um, like something like mindfulness, or a quiet contemplative state. Um, and when I say mindfulness, I mean it in the psychological sense, in terms of non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. So sitting. Like it doesn't have to be sitting. You can stand, or if you're alive, if you really want to. Um, but being with yourself and and noticing what you're thinking and what you're feeling and not judging yourself for that. Yeah. Um, but, but in a way, just do, but, but that, that's a skill that needs to be developed. Mm. It's, it's just like uh, say anything. It's like learning to ride a bike or, you know, learning, um, you know, learning how to cook an omelet or whatever. You just have to practice it to get better at it. It's not rocket science. It's, it's, it's a skill that you have to develop. But I think if you can develop that, um, and, and, and you'd have to do it, you know, regularly to get good at it. It means you can just check in with yourself on a regular basis, like on a daily basis of how are things going for me. Right. And, and maybe in that way you can make small little changes in your life that, that might be consistent with your reevaluated values um, rather than having to wait and do something major like um, shave off all your hair and, you know, travel to India for six months. Right. <laughs> so, so just in that way, you're developing, and also, you know, it's you could you can gradually notice changes and and make decisions about your values and how you're going to live your life in small steps rather than massive sort of right. I'm going to get a new wife and new children. Uh, and you know, live in a new house, so you don't have to have those massive leaps. You can just do it, and you can just adjust to changes in you in a very in a very smooth way. I think that's outstanding advice, and I feel that it's elegant in its simplicity. Um, mm. That having time in the day to mindfully check in with yourself. Yeah. Um, and we tend to, you know, imagine that if we're not if we're not familiar uh, or not in the practice of doing it, we can tend to imagine that it's, you know, sitting cross-legged or, or yeah. lying in a sensory deprivation tank or something <laughs> yeah. like that, and and yeah. you know, um, and 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 being and for many people, um, diplomats and others, because, you know, we need to remember that diplomats are subject to the human condition as well. The sure. prospect of sitting alone or standing, but being alone with the thoughts and feelings in your day can be quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, and, and we can succumb to, I guess, the belief our, you know, going back a little while in the conversation there, Dougal, you know, our, our rule that we always mm. have to be busy. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. spending any kind yeah. of time or effort, yeah. indeed money, on ourselves can seem like a self-indulgent extravagance. Yeah. 
Um, and simply all you're saying is, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, lying in a, in a, in a sensory deprivation tank every day. Um, it, 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 you know, could as easily be, you know, uh, um, sitting on the subway train to work yep. or, yep. you know, for the, for those few moments before you have breakfast or, or something yep. like that, you know, as habitual as brushing your teeth, yep. Yep. um, where, you know, you're, you're sitting. So there's things like journaling. Um, there's things like, um, uh, you know, actually I love this. I love this challenge. It's being bored. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, and you know, sitting, sitting on a park bench and without your phone for like five, 10 minutes and letting the mind like go off the leash yeah, and see, yep. see what comes up and again, without judgment and let it go. Yep. Um, and then, you know, after five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever suits, uh, coming back to yourself, uh, and going, okay, you know, it's, you know, what was happening there? Uh, yeah. and getting curious perhaps yeah absolutely and I, I, th I think even I mean even the idea of five or ten minutes is as might be scary for some yeah. people or you know people can imagine people going well I'm you know busy life you know I don't have ten minutes to be sitting around on park benches this is you know what sort of gobbledygook are you trying to sell us here yeah um, look you could do I, I think you start off really small start off with three minutes a day like five days a week, and you could have the weekends off to not be reflective if you want. Um, but, and focus, just initially focus on physical sensations that you have in your body. Um, to, to be frank, just get an app in, in many ways. Like there's many good apps yeah. that will guide you through this process. Um, and it is one of those things that I would challenge people to try. It's much better uh, caught than taught. Like you can sit here... You can sit at home wherever you're listening to this and think, oh, this is just rubbish. You know, this is just sort of psycho babble. Um, well, I'm not going to try that. Well, I'd, I'd encourage you to people to try it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd just encourage people to try it and and um, and focus on the physical sensations. Um, but but it's just that, that practice that you can just gently get into. Um that allows those – so we talk about, you know, we talked about how those thoughts and feelings people have can often be quite frightening um, or quite scary. Uh, and so just being kind to yourself and, and, and like, thinking about it like a, if you're learning to swim, um, if you're learning to swim, you, don't, you wouldn't go and jump in the deep end of the pool and go, well, I'm, help, I'm drowning. This is, this is really scary. Yeah. Um, you, you'd hopefully – uh, you just get in at the shallow end and sort of puddle about and spend a few minutes there and then get out and then the next day come back and try again. Um, the and the same with this. Mm. If, if, if it's scary, then if it freaks you out and because you're not used to it, then just be really gentle on yourself and just do it little bit by bit. Um, and you gradually sort of become much more aware of your own thinking and your own feeling and, and they become less scary then. Right. I think that's one of the, the 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 really important points. As speaking personally here, as you know, someone who holds myself to a very high standard, mm. I, I I remember 
like early this year, and I think I may have said this to you um, over coffee a little while ago, yeah. Google, but I decided to start yoga yep. uh, for, you know, the, 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 the physical benefits. And uh-huh. I went into my first yoga practice, my yoga first yoga session, wanting to like be the best yeah, at yeah. yoga that day. And I realized after a couple of sessions that, you know, that was not the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, the, and, and, but it, it, on reflection, I, I, I learned something about myself is that, you uh-huh. know, I immediately want to be yeah. awesome at yeah. something and, you know, don't allow myself the process of learning it. I, I yeah, sometimes yeah. don't allow myself to suck. Yeah at something yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. and if i do suck at it uh for you know the first couple of sessions then you know i'm like i'm never getting this and and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and and stuff now however like just the practice uh of, yeah. of going there turning up is is actually really restorative and i wonder if that applies to you listener um you know if you are gentle on yourself gentle enough on yourself to allow yourself, as Dougal says, to wade into the shallow end of the mindfulness pool. Give yourself, you know, a couple of minutes each day and, and you know, develop the habit um, and see what works for you and not. So, Dougal, one of the things that I... I and just being aware of, of the time here... One of the things that I really want to to, to, to really focus on from here on out um, is midlife being uh, a midlife crisis, a midlife reevaluation being an opportunity. And you uh-huh. said right uh, sort of a, a little while ago that you know it is that sweet spot in life where you know you've got skills, you've got experience both in the workplace and in life. Yeah. to actually do something about those thoughts and feelings that are oh. within ourselves. How, what's your final bit of advice for people who might feel that they really do, that they're in the midst of a reevaluation? What's their first step? Is it simply the mindfulness? Um. I think if you realize that you're in the midst of a reevaluation of life, I, I, th- I think the first thing actually that springs to mind is particularly if you've got a partner with you, I think probably talk to them about it yeah. as well um, and include them in that loop. I think... Um, that when we're trapped with something by ourselves, it can feel much scarier than it is. Um, and so just the ability to talk with somebody that you trust, particularly a partner if it's going to impact upon them, but it, you, you know, it may be that you're going and seeing a coach or a trusted mentor or somebody like that. And so, and just just putting it on the table. Yep. Um, and, and I think too, as much as possible, being okay with it and by that i mean accepting that it's that it's there that it doesn't it, 
it doesn't have to mean anything in itself. It's not necessarily a scary proposition. Having a thought isn't the same as doing the action. So just because you're feeling like you might be, oh, um, yeah, just because you're feeling like you might be in the midst of some sort of reevaluation or crisis, or that you feel like you want to buy that flash car, doesn't mean you do it necessarily. Um, but being okay that it's that that it's there or letting it be there. Right. Yeah, and and I feel that's that's such sage advice, particularly around you know going back to the to the shouldn't should shouldn'ts the yeah. the masturbation, um, yep. uh, which I'm just going to be you know weaving into general vernacular from now on, um, mm. because yeah, it's it's letting letting those thoughts and feelings be realizing yeah. that, you know, they are just thoughts and feelings. Um, uh, they're, they're telling us something, get curious, don't get curious, but, you know, simply, you know, acknowledge them rather than avoiding them. Um, yeah. because sometimes the effort of addressing them is far less than the effort taken to avoid them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, very much, very um, much. Particularly when we want to throw ourselves back, you know, into work because, you know, working hard has gotten us ahead so far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And, you know, we, we you know, just that's that's the that's the thing that has worked in the past, so we've got to keep on doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And work sure. harder and harder and harder until, you know, we, we exhaust ourselves potentially. Yeah, yeah. Dougal... Thank you so much for sharing so freely your your wisdom uh, and professional insight today on midlife crises slash reevaluation slash opportunities. Yeah. Um, and I feel that um, your words will really resonate with so many listeners uh, around the world. So cool. thank you so very much for your time today. Cool. Thanks for having me, Phil. Listener, wasn't that just such an insightful chat with Dougal? I want to say an enormous thank you to Dr. Dougal Sutherland for being so free with his help and advice and amazing professional insight for me and, by extension, to you, listener, over the past year while I have been writing my blog and recording these podcasts. Dougal, I really value your insight, your wisdom, and great humor um, because we have the best conversations about some really serious topics. Thank you so very much. And it was really hard for me to end that conversation. I could have spoken all day because this topic is so enormous and so fascinating to me. It's so fascinating to me because, well, we find ourselves when we start, when we have the feeling of a midlife reevaluation, we find ourselves at another one of life's crossroads. And it's such a fantastic opportunity to get curious, to find out why, to find out, you know, what life has next for us. And it's hard to speak about this topic without resorting to to grandiose statements that kind of mean everything but mean nothing. So bear with me. A midlife reevaluation 
is perhaps the best opportunity that life affords us to really think about where we've come from, where we are, and what we can do next with our lives. We are at the sweet spot where the skills that we have and the experience that we have meet, and we can actually sit and reflect, try something new that can propel us into the next half of our lives, our working life, our personal life, whatever it might be. There are other times where life affords us the opportunity to reflect on what we've done and think about what we want to do. And I feel that there's there's particularly two others. One is when we finish our formal education and we're looking around, we're applying for jobs and we want to put what we've learned into practice and make a difference in the world. So that's, you know, early mid-twenties, I guess, for many of us. But really, we don't have enough life experience to make a really informed decision. So we make a decision based on what we know to be true for ourselves at that time. Or we may have made a decision based on a career or what we studied at university based on what we felt that others expected us to do. Then, at the other side of life, we have what I call, perhaps crudely, the the deathbed realisation, where we reflect back over our life and we can ask ourselves, what if? What if I had made this decision? instead of that decision? What happens? What would have happened if I had said yes instead of no? What would have happened if? And cruelly, cruelly, it is at this crossroads in life where we can do very little about it. We have all the skills, we have all the experience, perhaps that we're ever going to get, but we cannot do a thing about it. For me, that prospect was and remains terrifying. I do not want to get to that point in my life and think, what if? What if I was brave enough? What if I was, I had decided to live according to my values, what I knew to be true to myself, for myself? So it's with that thinking that I say that a midlife reevaluation is almost the perfect time to pause and reflect. It wasn't always like that for me, though. I desperately, desperately did not want to have a mid-life re-evaluation or, really, a mid-life crisis. I desperately did not want that. I so wanted to continue on being well put together, knowing my direction in life, knowing that I had, you know, a career that was really going to go places, a family that were doing really well, things were lined up, but why did I, why did I feel that things weren't quite right? And so I did what had worked previously for me. I threw myself into work. More work was obviously the answer. More work was going to result in more 
opportunities for me, more promotions, other postings, and continuing along life in that way, in the way that had worked for me in, in over the previous sort of 15 to 20 years. It was so tempting to keep moving. If I kept moving and moving and moving, then the thoughts and feelings that I was running from weren't going to ever catch up with me. So, I mean, I love traveling, but I was constantly planning travel. And by exploring the world and taking time to to try new things and, and experience different things with myself and my family, then what I was running from could never catch up with me. In short, I just realized that I was numbing. I really did not want to think the thoughts and feel the feelings that things needed to change. Things needed to change within me. And then when I realized that things weren't going as swimmingly as I'd hoped, I realized with some dread that I was lonely. Absolutely felt bereft and adrift within myself and looked around and thought... I really believed that there was nobody in my life with whom I could put my hand up and say, I need help. This was an alarming thought. And when I spoke up, when I said to my wife that I was lonely and that I needed help, it was singly the hardest thing that I've said, but singly the best thing that I've said because it started me. It was the very first step. As Dougal said in the chat that we've just had, it was the very first step to getting the support that I needed. It allowed people in my life, wherever they are in the world, to step up and support. Because when you have, and I've spoken about this before, when you wear the masks of endless competence, endless good humor. Nobody asks you how you are because you're not giving them a reason to ask how you are. But people love, specifically the people who love you, love being able to step up and help you. The hard part for people who are endlessly competent, endlessly able to just get things done and look like they've got it all together. The hardest part is admitting that you don't have it all sorted. I still remember that feeling of saying, I don't have... Sorry, I still remember having that feeling of admitting that I was lonely. Terrifying. Terrifying. My story might resonate with many of you, some of you, or one of you listeners, let me assure you that I understand the courage that it takes to say, I think that things could be better. I need some help, please. And whether that help is just an ear from a friend who you know will listen to you with empathy and without judgment listen to you, or whether that is a coach, whether that is a professional counsellor. We all need 
help. Even those of us who are amazing, who are effortlessly competent, who know how things work and how to get things done. We all need support. So if you are sitting there thinking that this is all well and good, Phil, great for you, I'm so happy for you that you went and got the help that you needed and look at you now, but I could never do that. I say, that's crap, absolute crap. Of course, you can reach out for help to a friend, to your significant other, to a coach, to a professional. You must. Essentially, you've got to get over yourself. Really, if I can whack you around the face very nicely and lovingly, like, get over yourself. You don't have to have it all sorted all of the time. Take the opportunity that life is giving you. If you're thinking the confused thoughts or feeling the whirring of emotions within you that you feel might actually herald a midlife reevaluation, get curious. Get help. Start the process of being reconnected to yourself and to the world around you. It would be an honor for me to help you do that if you would like me to. That's about all I needed to say for this episode. There's quite a bit in there for you to think about, I hope. So if your mind is racing right now, I invite you to go and get a pen and paper, sit down somewhere quietly and just write what's in your mind Write it down. No one else has to read it, so it doesn't have to be in poetic prose. It doesn't have to be, you know, in your best handwriting or, you know, get cleared by anybody at work. This is just for you. Get those thoughts and get those feelings out on paper. If you've got a question for me or you feel that I can help you in some way, please send an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com and we can schedule a free 15-minute strategy call. You can also send an email to that same address if you've got any feedback for me or if you've got any other questions about my work. If you do like my work, please give it a rating on the service through which you're now listening. If you do like it, word of mouth advertising is simply the best advertising. So tell a friend, send the link to them by email. If you feel that I can improve what I'm doing, please tell me. And if you found value in this episode, please consider showing me some love by providing some financial support, either through one-off contribution or a monthly contribution. To learn more, go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support. It does now sound like you're getting ready to leave. So until next time, be awesomely, humanly you, because the world needs more you.
All views expressed in this episode are my own, and all sounds are freeware in the public domain. Thanks for listening.